We are doing a series uh, called Bodybuilding, and as you can tell by looking at me, it's not about physically bodybuilding. Don't be, don't be misled. It's about the idea that we need to build up the church, because the church is over and over in the New Testament equated to the body of Christ. So when we say bodybuilding, we're talking about building up the church, specifically our local church here in Birmingham. And last time, uh, we looked at uh, two things. The first was the motivation that we should have. To go after anything uh, with all our effort as Christians in the church. And it should be the grace of God. Uh, Chapter 4 verse 1 is the first command God gives uh, through the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And the first three chapters are all about who God is and what God has already done. And so based on this grace upon grace, then we should go after the things in life that God calls us to. And so as we look, uh, you know, it really is a journey that we're entering in. You know, and this journey... This dude is kind of like, you know, Frodo's left, left in the Shire, you know. Maybe he's at the, at the pub and he's meeting Strider the Ranger for the first time. And I, I don't know, but we've just begun this journey. And this may be a journey we're going to take for the rest of the year. We're going to take this journey as long as we need to. Uh, and really the goal is that every member of our church is a unified part of this body and we're building it together. And so that is the goal. We're going to be talking at our midweek services on the 1st and 8th of August coming up about this. We're going to be talking about our family groups once a month in a meeting. And so please see your family leader about when that meeting will be. Uh, We really want everyone to engage in this process. And this is the motivation. Because God has been so good to us. Uh, God has been so good to us. That's how we respond. Uh, And that's why we work hard to build up this church. Uh, And then of course we talked uh, as well about the building blocks. These building blocks uh, that that we have in the church. And how these building blocks, and there's eight of them that we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at the first two today. How essential they are to, to really having a healthy church. And if we as individuals are healthy in these building blocks, we and our families and our family groups are healthy, and then we as a church that are healthy in these building blocks, we can really have, indeed, a healthy church. Um, and that was the, 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 the wonderful illustration I put together uh, for you guys. I, I, I am willing to make a print for you and autograph it. If you'd like it for your wall, that's fine. Let me know. Um, it's, a, it's a forced original, and uh, that's why it doesn't look very good. But of course, you know, all these blocks, you know, Jesus being the head, all these blocks uh, have we really live them out as Christians, make up the church and make the church healthy, make the church what it ought to be. Uh, and so last Sunday we looked at the, the one on the left here, we looked at life. And specifically the idea that our life, you know, Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And specifically how our life is built upon the grace of God. When we really get the grace of God, we'll give our all for God. When we really get the grace of God, we'll do everything we can to be a part of this church and do everything we can to build this church. And so, again, you know, the grace of God being our motivation is really, uh, you know, the drive in our life. And so whatever we decide to do uh, or not do in life is really all back to the grace of God. So that's what we talked about a bit last Sunday. uh, And that, I think, is a great place to start in living a better life uh, together in the church. And so today we're going to continue reading here. And look at two more blocks here, uh, the blocks of relationships and the blocks of, of, of doctrine. The blocks of relationships and the building block of doctrine. So we're going to read on here in a text in Ephesians 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 2. Paul goes on then to say, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. 
So let's look first at this first uh, block, uh, I believe, that he mentions here, which is the, the building block of relationships. The building block of relationships. Uh, you, you cannot have the church. The church cannot be built without healthy, godly relationships. It is vital. It was always God's intent, and it always will be God's intent, that we have these kinds of relationships uh, in, his, in His body, which is the church. And in verses 2-3, Paul, he challenges them to be this way. And so I'm assuming that we often fall short of what He's challenged them to be. You know, we, He says, be completely humble in verse 2. Well, I think we struggle enough just to be humble, if we're honest with ourselves, let alone completely humble. The Greek phrase there also in English, they don't translate it this way, but it should be, is it's all humility. All humility. So it, it's absolutely complete humility. Uh, you know, be gentle. You know, the opposite of gentle is, is harsh. And it's easy when we're having intention to choose to put aside gentleness, right, and, and be harsh. To be patient. Uh, what does it mean to be patient? Well, I think he defines it bearing with one another in love. It, it's not just that you bear with each other. Okay, whenever you can get there, get there. No, that you, you bear with each other in love. And is that not the picture we have of God and the way that he treats us, that he bears with us? He doesn't just bear with us. He bears with us, it says, in love. And so this is a real challenge. I think we need to look at this and think, oh, yeah, I got that. No, we don't have this. We don't have this. We fall very short uh, of this relational standard that, that Paul is setting forth for us. And amen, in Jesus we have a great example. And in Jesus we have hope uh, even when we fall short uh, of that example. And so, and then he goes on to say in verse 3, and then he says, Make every effort, after he gives us standard, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So a lot of the fact that we are all unbearable at times... Which is what I think verse 2 basically says. We need to make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, through the bond of peace. Only God, through His Holy Spirit, can bring us this. Only God's work in our lives, uh, with such a, a diverse range of cultures and ages here, and accents as well. Only God can, can bring us to this kind of a standard, but God can Paul's not calling to something that we cannot achieve. And I think that's where we need the Holy Spirit. Paul says this, it can only happen, you know, make every effort, you know, through the Holy Spirit, right? Is what he basically says in verse 3. And the Galatians, uh, the Galatians heard this from Paul, how the, the fruits of the Spirit are all the things that can make our relationships wonderful. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22-23. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, if you're married in the room. Amen, married. Amen. A great time last night. I'll laugh your way to a better marriage. Our fourth session. we got two more sessions. A shameless plug for me. <laughs> Have a great time. Third session every month. But go go back to most of our marital strife. And I'm cheap sinners here. I've had plenty of marital strife. I love my wife. She's a godly, gracious woman. <laughs> 95%. Maybe I shouldn't give a number, but most, no, let me, let me go back. Most of our marital conflicts just come back to us being unspiritual. There are other issues that can come into play, backgrounds, mental health. I, I'm not trying to say that that's always the quick fix here. Oh, you're just unspiritual, repent. But most of us, if we're married in the room, if we honestly look back on most of the strife, 
we're not we're not spiritual. And then it's so easy when my wife I feel like is not being spiritual for me to be unspiritual and justify that. And that's that dangerous pattern in our marriages that can create all kinds of strife. Any major relational problems, even if you're not married, that you've had in your life. Again, if you take a step back and look at it and are humble about what really was the issue, it's that both parties in some way, shape, or form were unspiritual. They weren't displaying the fruits of the Spirit. And amen, I'm not talking about the world here. I'm talking about the church. We had the Holy Spirit. We can be different. We can be different. And so the challenge here is not what can he or she change? Why, why would God allow this? But what do I need to change? How do I need to grow to be more like Christ to build this body when it comes to relationships? And Paul gives us, he gives us great insight here. He says, be completely humble. As I said in verse 2, it could better be translated all humility. In the Greek mindset, it's a a shame and honor mindset that Paul is writing to here, uh, to the church in Ephesus. Uh, And so, humility was scandalous. In the Greek mindset. You, you, you don't give ground. You stand firm. And if you give ground, that's, that's shameful. Mm-hmm. And so this is a radical concept. But of course, it was displayed perfectly in the life of Jesus. He, he, he was perfectly humble. He was completely humble. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you don't stand up for yourself and what is right for you. But, but, but completely and perfectly humble is what uh, Paul calls him to and what we see in Jesus. What did Jesus say in Matthew 11? Come to me. And for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. The New Testament letters call us to treat each other with humility because of Christ. And then when we fall short of that, because of the blood of Christ, we can, we can work through that. We can find grace as we fall short. Complete humility is the standard we want to set for our relationships in this room, in this church, in Birmingham. Complete humility. Also gentleness. As I said earlier, the opposite of gentleness is harsh. And what's interesting about those words is they denote authority. You know, and John Oberg is one of my favorite writers. He's a very clever uh, Christian writer. And he talks about, you know, why is it that you can, you can be so gentle and kind to your coworker, your neighbor, your classmate, but in your home, with your children who are, who are tender and younger and, and so dear to you, that you can be so harsh. Why is that? And a lot of us parents can say, oh, yeah, I've struggled with that, right? Well, he says, because you can you have authority. It's because you can. And amen, that's not justifying that we should not be harsh with our children. Amen, parents. But authority without patience is dangerous. That, that, that's what I think it's talking about. It's talking about you know mishandled authority. And so the solution to that is to be gentle with our authority. That's true in the church. The church has authority. The Bible is clear on things. And we have authority to, to call everyone in the church to, to follow that. But we need to be gentle doesn't mean we shouldn't be honest, doesn't mean we shouldn't be firm, but we need to be gentle, not harsh, as we do that. We may have some tough conversations as we study through this. Amen, let's have those conversations. Not confrontations, conversations. I'm going to keep saying that. But, let, but if we're gentle, we can, we can speak the truth. And it might be the most painful thing you've ever heard, but you know it's coming with love. And so at least you have a chance to hear it. Gentle. Is the standard gentle as we speak the truth? Uh, the next thing here, uh, you know, it says patient, right? Simply just be patient. And I, to me, it's hard to find patience. To me, it's bearing with one another in love. The next part, I think they work together. Uh, the Greek language is a semicolon. There, it kind of denotes that they kind of come together. You know, what does this look like? Well, I think we can see the, see the differences. For example, you know, when you're waiting on your, your 
your, uh, your wife, husbands. You know, you're trying to go to church, or you're trying to make dinner on time, or you're trying to, you know, or you're trying to get the kids out the door, whatever it may be, and, 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 and you're waiting. Is the wait, I'm so glad just, just to be here with you, and I'm so glad to, to wait as long as I need to do to, to get you there, because I'm just so thankful to be your husband, I'm just so thankful to be your parent. No, that's very with someone. It's not that you're not acknowledging they're running late, it's just you're bearing with them in love. But if you're anything like me, you're at the bottom of the steps with your arms crossed. <sighs> heavy sighing is going on, you know. The world is falling apart, you know. That, that's not buried with my wife or my children in love. And guilty as charged, this passage is very convicting to me. I'm not a patient man. And that's unloving. It's ungodly. And in the church, it's ungodly. It's unloving to not be patient with each other. And to not bear with one another in love. Impatience is often a, a, a result of our lack of grace. And it's funny, recently I, I, I needed, I got a U.S. license, an Australian license. The Australian license has expired. I've been in the U.K. now. I'm supposed to have a U.K. license. I'm like, ah, I'm trying to figure it all out. And uh, prayer for me to be able to legally drive soon. Anyway, and uh, <laughs> I need your prayers for real. Um, so I'm working on that, but I'm also man's U.S. passport has expired, and uh, we need to get that renewed. And so, and so the driver's license thing, it's all my fault. I knew the rules, I knew the deadlines, I knew what was going on, and I just didn't take care of it. 2017 was, was a, a bit of a blur for me, and I just didn't take care of it. So now I'm trying to figure out how to catch up, because I'm behind. So I'm not mad at anybody, because it's all my fault. Now, the passport thing is interesting because the, the courier had to pick it up and send it to the U.S. Embassy in London. And they, they went to pick it up and they pulled out the cashier's check and gave it to one of my daughters because we didn't realize the door the door had wrong. And, and, and so they pulled out one of the pieces that had to be sent to the embassy. So I get home and I realize this because I see the envelope. And I'm thinking, why, why do they do that? And, and my daughter says, well, the guy pulled out and said, oh, it's empty. You don't need to put an empty envelope in here. Like, why? It's not empty. The checks in it, you know. So I call the courier service, and well, our policy is that the, the, the whoever picks up the package doesn't touch anything. You put it on the envelope. I said, well, they didn't do that. They literally pulled this envelope out, you know, and, and, and gave it back to my daughter. You know, well, 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 the policy is that you shouldn't have been talking to your daughter. They shouldn't have been talking to an adult. I said, well, they they were talking to my daughter, you know. And, Back and forth, back and forth, and, and, and so I've already paid for the service, and they haven't done it anyway that it even goes according to the policy. But guess what they say? Well, our only solution is you pay for another pickup, and we send another driver. You know, and so, so, so I'm just at this point, I, I'm ready to take off someone's head. <laughs> and the funny thing is, and, and they, they, they messed up. They did not do their job. They been. I need to forgive them in my heart. Amen. <laughs> but, but my point is, the way I approach the driver's license thing and the way I approach the passport thing are completely different. Because I because I know. I know. I, and so, so grace is like it. If we really get grace, we know. We know. What do we deserve? We, we don't deserve to be given patience. We don't deserve we, we don't deserve to be bared with in love. We we put Jesus we put Jesus on, on the cross in our sins. That's what we did, but we didn't get what we deserved. And so our perspective is so important in our relational struggles. We're all unbearable at times with each other, and God does not treat us as our sins deserve. 
He is slow to anger, abiding in love. You think about Jesus. Jesus, just, just, just go to one story in the Gospels of Jesus when the disciples are messing up. Wow, the patience. They're very with them in love. And that's our example. That's our standard that we have to follow as a church to have great relationships. So, verse 3, then, I think it's more challenging. Make every effort to keep you in the Spirit. Well, that's what it looks like. It's verse 2. It's having these attributes over and over every day in our lives. And at some point, we have to realize verse 3 says it's unspiritual. It's ungodly to be at war in the church. That's what it says. It says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. As soon as that bond of peace is broken... And I'm at war with my brother and sister. Well, they have the Holy Spirit. So I'm at war not just with them, but with the Holy Spirit. And that might make us take a step back in the midst of our Christian strife. Because we're going to have it. We're going to have strife with one another. It's all a matter of how do we deal with it. We make peace. We make peace. And Jesus shows us the way. He gives us the way. In verses 2-3, through I think it gives us great insight. As to have to do that, but we've got to make every effort. Now we're already in a spiritual war with evil. If, 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 if the war comes in, inside the kingdom, we cannot win. A house divided cannot stand. So make every effort to have peace always. Bodybuilding requires each of us to be humble, gentle, patient, loving as we bear with each other. Then we will find more and more the unity of the Spirit. Then we will find more and more that peace that we need. To really build the body up the way God wants it to be built. And there's a lot at stake. It's not just about you know us being a healthy body. It's also about us having a healthy witness. Jesus, his last prayers as recorded in John 17. Part of that prayer is verses 20 to 23. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. After he's prayed for the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me. Through their message. That all of them may be one father. Just as you and me and I and you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. There it is again. All unity. Complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. And have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus says without this kind of unity that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 verses 2 to 3 as he prays here. His prayer shows us that without this kind of unity, the world will not know that Jesus was sent by God. And the world will not understand God's love. And if the world can't get that Jesus came to save us from our sins, and if the world can't get that God loves them, they're never going to be saved. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't believe that, you know, we're going to stop God from saving people, but we're going to get in the way. And I don't want that blood on my head, and I'm sure you don't either. And so our unity, our relationships, they matter eternally. They matter eternally. Today, examine your relationships in the body of the Birmingham Church. Are there any relationships that need to be worked out? And not just are there things that need to be worked out, but where can we grow? Where can we grow? You know, I'm convicted to see George and Mary. I should have visited them. I knew Mary was going through some physical pain and challenges, and I sent her some text messages, voicemails, but I should have went and saw them. I'm convicted by that. And I apologize to them for not visiting them. You know, and that we, we can all grow. We can all step up. We can all do so much more to beat this body and build this body up through this incredible gift that we have in our relationships. How am I treating my brothers and sisters, and how can I be a better brother and sister in this body? We body build through relationships. And second and finally here, we body build with doctrine. 
We bodybuild with doctors. Let's get the let's get the doctor barbells out here and do a little pumping. Doctor is not one of those things. Yeah, let's talk about it. Woo! Yeah. Point number two. I'm excited. Let's talk about doctrine. Alright, some of you are zoning out right now. Stay with me. Stay with me. This is very important. Very important. But I feel like it's a good balance for the men and women. First part, relationships. Probably more for the women. Second point, doctrine more for the men. In our simple natures. In our simple nature. I mean, I... We're going to balance it out here. Again, I'm stereotyped. I shouldn't stereotype. You understand what I'm saying. We'll read on here. Verse 4. Ephesians 4, verse 4. Paul goes on then. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope and you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul describes these seven ones. What I believe when you go through the New Testament are foundational doctrines. What we believe. Doctrine is a belief. What you believe about the body, which is synonymous to the church. We'll look at the scripture here in a moment. What you believe about the Holy Spirit. What you believe about hope. What you believe about lordship. What you believe about faith. What you believe about baptism. And ultimately what you believe about God. These seven ones. And so I kind of picture this. And again, I can give you this copy as well, though the conversation's off here. Uh, let me know. Uh, you know, I kind of look at this like the body is standing on these doctrines. Like these doctrines are the floor. They're the ground. They're the, they're the bedrock that allow the body to stand. Without, without gravity and without your bones, you could not stand. Right? Without doctrine, the right doctrine in the church, we cannot stand. We will fall. We will stumble. We will collapse. We will no longer be the body of Christ. So these seven ones are very important. You know, what we accept and believe shapes our growth. What we believe about God and the Christian faith matters greatly. It matters greatly. So let's look at this uh, briefly. Uh, the first one uh, here is, is the one body. He talks about the one body, which is synonymous to the church. Ephesians earlier in the letter, Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 1, 22-23. God placed all things in front of Jesus under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. And it's interesting going back to Ephesians 4, verse 4, this idea of one body. When Paul wrote this uh, in, in the first century, there was only one church. There weren't, you know, denominations. There weren't these, these multiple, you know, kinds of churches that we, that we see today. So we read this quickly in, a, in, a, in our own viewpoint. But back then he wasn't referring to, you know, there's only one church that's right. What he was referring to is, is the, the church just has to be right. It can't be divided. There, there can't be a division because there's only one body. And if, you, and if you start to split that body apart, you destroy it, right? Eventually when you dissect the human body, you destroy it. And so there's an issue of unity and division in that context. Yes, it, it's true today. Still, there is one body. There is one church. And just because someone has a steeple and some pews and some stained glass, or a guy's up here with a collar on, doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're part of that one church. It, it, it's only those who God has saved that are part of that one church. It's not about the organization. I believe in the Birmingham Church of Christ, we are a part of that one church. I do believe that firmly, and we're going to try to make sure we're part of that one church to the day we die. But, but, but my job is not to walk around judging which church is it. My job is just to be that church. And your job is to be that church. You know, how, how do we do this? Well, it's, I think it's fairly simple. 
Keep, keep your eyes on the head. Keep your eyes on Christ. Christ must be the focus. It is His church. As soon as you start to focus on me, you're done. Because yeah. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to fall short. Yeah. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to do the wrong thing sometimes. I'm trying not to. <laughs> and let me know if I do. <laughs> Feel free to decide on me. I need it. But, but we, we must focus on Christ and Christ alone. He must become greater. Everyone else must become lesser. That, that's where we focus. You know, A.W. Tozer talks about this beauty of just focusing on Jesus. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So, 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in part nearer to each other than they could possibly be. Were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship? And so that is always the dilemma. When we, the more we talk about unity in one another, the more we start to lose our focus on Christ, the one that can truly bring us together. And I think you know they, they work together. They certainly don't fight one another. But the most important thing is you know it's kind of like the triangle. You know here here's me, here's you, here's Christ. And we can look at each other and get closer, and we need to sometimes do that, but we don't always get closer to Christ. If we can look at each other as we look at Christ, then we can really start to grow. And so we've got to stay focused on Jesus to stay the one body. So we have the one body, next we have the one spirit uh, in the text uh, there in Ephesians 4, verse 4. So many in this church... Uh, inspire me. I appreciate it. Nick was moved by you guys as you shared me. I appreciate appreciated that. This church is full of inspiring people. People who I believe are filled with the Spirit. People who are spiritual. People who are Spirit-led. I think of the spouses who have stayed faithful when the other has not. I think of the parents who have persevered when their children have been wayward. I think of the singles who have not wavered in their commitment to Christ and it's grown even if their hope is deferred. I think of the mothers who go it alone and bring their kids week after week, loving and honoring Jesus in a challenging situation. I think of the Christians who have endured hardship and suffering and yet remain joyful and faithful. This church is, is full of so many inspiring examples of people who I believe display that one spirit Paul is talking about and are being led by. Recently, I was encouraged by Keith Hansen. You know, Keith, he was on to have a father-daughter dance. And he, he worked hard. He organized that thing. Uh, but the thing I appreciate about Keith is, is that's just who Keith is. He's always looking out for those who maybe aren't getting looked out for. He's always thinking about, you know, who, who's on the fringe of the fellowship and how can I make sure they're getting encouraged? Uh, and that was just a great example of that to me. He does that in many other ways, it? but he doesn't get lifted up for that. I want to lift him up. You know, like, hey, amen, amen. He's far more than just an Aston Villa fan. Amen. Although he's a passionate Aston Villa fan. You know, I think of uh, Naomi and Ashley. I, I think Naomi may be in London. Let her know I lifted her up. Naomi and Ashley, they have been faithful, joyful team leaders for a long time. You know, just giving their time, their money, and, 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 and doing it joyfully. Going above and beyond even what I would expect for someone who's helping with our team ministry. And just doing it consistently for a long time, Naomi and Ashley. You know, I think of Josh Malang, I think he's not here today too. You know, he, he, he's doing whatever he can do. He's ushering, he's helping out in the edge ministry, he's, he's helping out in the teens. He, he's always there and he's always smiling. He serves with a smile. <laughs> and then, you know, lastly, and I could lift up more people. I, I, I don't get insecure, I don't lift you up. <laughs> I hate doing 
this year. It's like, do I do it? Because someone's going to get their feelings hurt, but I want to do it. You know, I, I want to look up Wamba. You know, Wamba, she, she does so much behind the scenes you don't even know about. You totally take for granted. And if she didn't do it, we wouldn't be able to have service today. And she does it week after week after week, and she does it with such such a pure joy. Uh, and it really, it really reminds me of Christ, the way Wamba really serves the church. the one spirit working in them. Those people I'm lifting up. And that's exciting because if you see the Holy Spirit working in them, guess what? You have the same Holy Spirit they have. And it can work in you. It may not come out in the same way and, you know, based on your talents or gifts or whatever, but that same spirit is in all of us. It's in all of us. The one spirit. It's a powerful thing. Next we have one hope. One hope. You know, all, all, all of us have the same guarantee. You know, and, and hope is interesting. When we think of the hope that we have as Christians, we often, it conjures up feelings, right? It conjures up feelings, but our hope is not in a feeling. Our hope is in a fact. That's right. A fact that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, if I'm a Christian and I'm saved by God, all in the end is going to be right. That, that is, the Bible says it's like a anchor for our soul. That hope that no matter what may come, heaven is my destination. And as Christians, we share that hope. Recently, you know, uh, talking to you know my youngest Eva about about you know heaven and death, and you know she's had some health problems, and we watched this movie, and I, it really shook her. I was like, oh no, because this kid was sick. I was like, what did I, what have I done? You know, I messed her up. And uh, anyway, but but we were talking about heaven, and just the way the way once she kind of started to just focus on heaven, she just all the stress lifted. And, and, and that's like a pure, a pure, a pure kid who is just grasping something that's so wonderful and so beyond our comprehension. But if we just grasp it a little bit, we have great hope, no matter what may come. Great hope, that one hope. The next one is one Lord, one Lord. Uh, there in the text, uh, you know, I recently was able to go back to where I became a Christian. I became a Christian in 1995 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, where I went to university, and uh, I was able to, I was invited back to speak at the International Campus Ministry Conference by the church, which is a great honor uh, for me, and uh, I was able to go back to Nippert Stadium, which is in the middle of the University of Cincinnati, right right down to, you know, like 100 meters from there is where I got reached out to by Mark Floyd, who was just sharing his faith and a good disciple on campus, and Nippert Stadium is the, is the American football stadium in the, in the middle of the, of the university, and that was like my prayer spot. So I went back there. Uh, when I got there, you know, for a morning, and it was just like, man, you know, it was just, it was just such a joy. It was such a joy to remember where, where Jesus became my Lord. That, that's where it happened. And it just brought me back to the joy of making Jesus my Lord. And as a Christian, you have those same moments in your life. You can remember the time, you can remember the place, you can remember the people involved. And doesn't that just overwhelm you with joy? When you really go back to when you made Jesus Lord. You know, when we said Jesus is Lord and we got baptized, it wasn't like, Jesus is Lord. Yeah. No, it was Jesus is Lord. You know, we, were, we were so excited. We were pumped. And, and, and that one Lord that worked then can still work in our life now. And that one Lord that worked there can still work here. And that, that Lord who worked in 1995 in this pagan's life, and I was as lost as could be, without a clue, if he can, if he can work in my life and become my Lord, he can, he can, he can reach anybody. I truly believe that. And you and you know that Lord too, if you're a Christian today. You know, I love this passage in Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. We've got to remember that. 
And today, we got to remember that. And forever. That one Lord, that same Jesus, we loved and followed then as the same Jesus today. This should, this should fire us up. This should put a little pep in our step. You know what I'm saying? A little glide straw. You know, we should be, oh man, what can that Jesus do today after church? What can that Jesus do tomorrow? Yeah. What can that Jesus do in my neighbor's life? What can that Jesus do in my neighborhood? What can that Jesus, this Jesus do in my workplace? Because He is Lord of all. He is Lord. There's one Lord, and He doesn't change. And we need to just keep His Lordship in our lives. The next is one faith. We're almost done here. You're still with me, hopefully. You know, this one faith, you know, what is... Because again, faith, like hope, sometimes just conjures up feelings. How do I feel about God? You know, and even statistically, if you survey religious people, you ask them what, what, what they think it means to have faith in God, they'll give you all kinds of things that are all about their feelings and the answer. They have nothing to do, actually, with God Himself. And we've got to be very careful here uh, when it comes to our faith. An interesting passage right before, um, in chapter 2, from this book here in Ephesians 2.8, Paul says, It is by grace you have been saved to the church through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, right? So faith is powerful. We're saved by grace, but Paul says through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. You know, the most powerful thing we possess as Christians oftentimes is our faith. Because without that faith, we're not, we're not going to find our salvation. Without that faith, we're not going to keep our salvation. But we've got to make sure our faith stays defined by Scripture. We've got to make sure our faith stays defined by, by what has been revealed in the church. And not just how we feel or what we think or what some theologian believes or what some church thinks. But what the Scriptures of God has, has absolutely made clear. Our faith is not based on feelings. But based on the truth of who God is, we've got to be careful not to change this. Because this day and age, faith is all about how people feel. You know, why, 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 is, why is worship so popular today? I think worship's awesome. I, praise God for our worship team. It's awesome. But, but why is that so hit today? Why, why, why is that such a, such a popular thing? I think it's because people are feeling-driven rather than faith-driven in their approach to leadership. And we've got to be careful not to become the same way. Our faith has been defined clearly already by Jesus and the Scriptures. One faith, the next one here is one baptism. One baptism. This is one of the most argued, uh, misunderstood doctrines today. Oftentimes in Christian churches, uh, or churches that claim to be Christian, uh, they'll say that baptism is just a symbol of our salvation. It's something that you do to show people you've been saved. It's something that you might do one day to acknowledge to the church that you were a Christian. So then why is baptism in this list? It makes no sense whatsoever. Why would, why would baptism be here with Lord, faith, God, if it's not significant? It's part of the Christian foundation, doctrinally speaking. And so we have to really make sure we, we have deep conviction about how baptism is used uh, you know, as a foundation of our faith. Colossians 2 is a great passage. Uh, verses 11 to 12, uh, Paul is talking to the church there and he says, You are circumcised. He says, Not with the circumcision performed by the hands of men. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul says here we're saved through faith in baptism. Saved through faith in baptism. So if you put Ephesians 2, 8, alongside Colossians 2, what's by grace, through faith, 
in baptism. And we don't have the right, if the scriptures are clear, to change that. That's the work of the devil. That's evil. For me to take a doctrine that the Bible is clear on and try to change it to my own sin or my own liking or my own tradition. Why it matters? Well, baptism is the means, the mechanism, the moment when and where we get that grace through faith. It's what God has chosen to do, and it's all about Jesus. We could do another study on baptism later. If you have questions about that, you visit with me, let me know. Baptism is all about Jesus. And any other teaching on baptism, uh, belittling baptism, begins to be, become unbiblical. And we've got to be very clear on that as a church. Someone can say that, you know, I believe this and I believe that when it comes to Jesus, but if they don't, if they don't have a biblical baptism, they're not going to be right with them in the end. One baptism, and finally here, one God. One God. There is one God, Paul says. And he gives us a lot of insight, actually, on the Godhead part uh, here that, that he refers to. And it uses the, the term God the Father, right? There's one God, one Father. And so right away we see that the greatest thing about the Christian God is not that He is King or, or He is Judge, but He is our Father. It should conjure up feelings of intimacy and love and protection and security. And amen, I know not all of our earthly fathers made us feel that way. Some of our earthly fathers made us feel quite the opposite. And amen, I know the men in this room who are fathers, we need to really think about how our children feel about God based on how we, we follow them. I know that's something I need to keep working on. But God is our Father. First and foremost, the Christian idea of God begins and ends in love. He is our Father. That's a, that's a doctrine we must hold to no matter what. And, and life gets challenging sometimes and we can think, where is that Father? But He is there, whether we feel it or not. It says he's, he's Father of all. He is next overall. The phrase speaks of the control of God. I have the verse there. No, I don't. Sorry. Uh, it's there in verse 6 in Ephesians 4. He's overall, it speaks to the control of God. No matter how things may look, God is in control. You know, the life of God, it's an adventure. It's an adventure. You know, it's like being James Bond's friend in, in one of the, those famous movies. You know, sometimes you feel like, you know, we're going down, but somehow James pulls it out. You know, and, and that's like walking with God. It just feels like, what is going on? But God is in control. And he, and he gets us through it. He gets us through it one way or another. He's over all, he's through all, it says. Here we are reminded of the providence of God. You know, God did not create the world and, and set it going as a child with one of those little wind-up toys. He's just going to kind of wind it up and just let it go and eventually he's just going to kind of putter out. Now, that, that, that's sometimes the picture we can have of God. But, but God is all through this world, guiding, sustaining, loving, working uh, in our lives. He, he's through all. And last year Paul says he is in all. So God the Father is over all, He's through all, and lastly in verse 6, He's in all. In that phrase we're reminded of the presence of God in all of life. You know, what of all of life does God not exist in? God, God, God is in all, all living things. God, God, God resides in them. And that's why when, you, when, when someone is not yet a Christian, they're, they're, that, that part of God has been, it's been, it's been hidden. That part of God's image in them it needs to come back out. You know, and God, God, that's why God sent Jesus to, to restore our humanity. To help us as, as, as part of His creation be all that we can be. And we must become a Christian to get to that point. You know, C.S. Lewis says we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with Him. He walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend. In fact, to come awake. Still more to remain awake. We need to be awake to the presence of God. He is all around us. He is in everything. 
And he works through everything. You know, to close out here on this idea of doctrine, I think it's very important. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life, and we've talked about that quite a bit today, and doctrine closely. Watch your life and in doctrine closely. He doesn't say your life is more important than your doctrine. He doesn't say your doctrine is more important than your life. He says they're both, they're both very important. And he says persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Why is it significant? Because it is connected to my salvation, the doctrine I believe, and it's connected to the salvation of those who hear me. And so, to all those who are, who are members of the Birmingham Church, do we all have the same doctrine? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Let's just not assume. I, do you really know what I believe about baptism? I shared a little bit today, but I can share more. Do I really know what you believe about faith? You know, do, do you really know what she believes about Jesus' Lordship? Do, do you really know what he believes? You understand what I'm saying? It's really important. It's really important for us to, to have a healthy dialogue. So we can have this, you know, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. So let's get in some great conversations and ask some good questions of one another. And then how do we how do we sort through that? Well, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, gives us a great solution to the challenges of doctrine. Even if you encounter false doctrine, Paul says you can deal with that. And how, how, does, how does he call Timothy to do that? He says, preach the word in 2 Timothy 4 in, in verse 2. Be prepared in and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Those of us who just want to, you know, what about our Bible and start to mow people down, you know, with the truth? Great patience. Careful instruction. And this is written to an evangelist. So we got to be careful not to just seize that authority if that's not necessarily our role. But I do believe we all can use the Bible in this way. And I believe that as an evangelist, I should help you to learn to use the Bible in this way. So that we can, we can make sure we have solid doctrine as a church. We can make sure that our doctrine is absolutely one. He says, because the time will come, right? When people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, there it is, our feelings, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itchy ears want to hear. And then, and then it says, sadly, they'll turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside the myths. And honestly, that's the scary state of modern Christianity at large. There's all kinds of stuff out there that has nothing to do with the truth the Bible's made clear, and it's called Christian. And again, I'm not here to judge those people. I'm, I'm here to say, how am I doing? And how are you doing? But it comes to the truth that the Bible has made clear. And so back to our picture here, the, the, these foundations, they matter. If these foundations are not firm in our church, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, this body will wobble. This body will not be able to walk and move forward because it needs solid ground. And these doctrines are solid ground upon which we can stand. Doctrine matters in bodybuilding. If we don't have the right and true foundation, the body will wobble and eventually fall. If you're visiting with us today, welcome to our church family. Uh, you know, I hope you see we're not playing church today. No. We're not playing church. We want to be the church that Jesus died for. We want to be the church uh, that Jesus rose uh, and showed us the way to go. And so we, we, we want you to be a part of the church. We're glad you're here. Please let us know where you're at spiritually and how you can become a part of our church. Uh, is by sitting down with us and asking those questions and seeing what we believe. And you've got a little taste of it today in relationships and doctrine. And so to close out here, just some practicals for the week. I want to encourage us as a church to, we're going to have practicals for the next week along the lines of the sermon. 
Uh, and so for the next week, the first thing is to think. Get your spiritual, you know, motor moving here. You know, first is rate your relationships in this church body from a scale of 1 to 10. 1 being not good, worst, whatever you want to call it, to 10 being like the best, awesome. You know, where, where are you at relationally? If you could put a number on it, between 1 and 10. And then the second is how can you improve your score? Not, don't go, you don't have to go from a 3 to a 10. You're not Superman or Superwoman spiritually. How do you become a 4 or a 5 if you're at a 3? What what, what are some practical next steps based on Ephesians 4, verses 2 to 3, for you to grow in your relationships in the church? And again, don't don't point to someone else. Look at yourself. How do I need to grow? How do I need to be to improve my relationships in the church? And then the second thing is, are you sure of your doctrine biblically? Not because of the church or because of some person you studied the Bible with back in 1998. It doesn't matter. Where are you at today biblically in your doctrine? Are you clear? Are you sure on the seven ones uh, that we talked about? And what scriptures can you examine more closely to make sure? If you're not sure about this or you're not sure about that, get in your Bible. Get in the Word of God. I would also encourage you to, to talk to someone else about it. We, we need teachers. We need leaders in our lives to help us sometimes to know where to look in the Bible. Or how to apply that passage correctly. To our lives. And I hope everyone in this church has those things available to them. And then the second thing is just to act. And this is a practical challenge for everyone. Is to meet with someone this week. In our church. To discuss what you're learning about bodybuilding so far. And study a helpful scripture together. Or scriptures. Open up your Bibles together. We, don't, we need to do that way more often. Yes. Opening up our Bibles so that God's truth. Uh, can be more and more clearly revealed. Healthy relationships and healthy doctrine produce healthy people, which produce healthy families, which make a healthy church. Let's continue to examine and strengthen this body of Christ. And the very church of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.